This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to the Known and Ever podcast. Listeners, we are back. After an enforced international break last week, we had to have a week off the podcast. And so, sorry listeners to those of you who were eagerly awaiting the post-Swansea podcast. Um, Unfortunately, both James and I were out of the country, hence the enforced international break. And trying to get a recording together between the two of us when we were at opposite ends of the world was actually quite difficult. So, listeners, forgive us. We will be back this week with a bumper edition just to treat you all and to say we're sorry that we missed a week. So joining me this week as ever is the ever-reliable regular panellist James Bird. James, good evening. Good evening. It's good to be back. It's very good to be back. It feels like it's been a while since we sat and recorded this, don't you think? It has been a little while, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, It really has. It is. So let's not delay any longer. Let's jump right in there. And this week we are discussing a home draw against relegation struggling Southampton, a game that so easily could have been three points and back to winning range for the Clarets, but it was not to be. Clarets were denied with a very late equaliser at Turf Moor. Um, lots to talk about, but I'm actually going to hang fire on diving straight into the Southampton game because I want to have a talk um, in the first half of this podcast about this perceived loss of form that Burnley are in at the moment. The Southampton draw made it 11 games without a win for the Clarets and just six points collected in that time. Um, One of the reasons why I went into this schedule for this week's podcast is that when I was um, trawling through the media after the weekend's game, after I'd stopped sulking to try and get some feedback and and put together some kind of feel for, for this week's show, I was really surprised by the very negative press that Burnley were receiving. And the Clarets were coming under fire from quite a lot of the media to the extent that I really struggled to find um, anything positive to say about Burnley. And the media coverage is very much sort of centering on two different problems. Number one, the loss of form that the Clarets are in. And number two, the entertainment value. So I'm going to start with the first one and the perceived um, loss of form. Um, A couple of quotes that we've picked up from the media this week. Firstly, um, this Burnley side is so, so very short on confidence and belief. They are there for the taking and they look every inch a team 10 games without a win. And then a second one, 
The Clarets are suffering from a dramatic loss of form and look a long, long way from the very early season performances that saw them climb into the Champions League. And they're pretty scathing quotes, James. And, and I think if one thing I want to have a look at at the moment is is just the stats to see if we can back those up before we, we have a quick chat about whether that's that's justified. So, as I said before, that's 11 games now without a win, and we've got just six points in those games. Our last league win was at Stoke, well, at home to Stoke on the 12th of December, which did take us into the, into the Champions League spot. Now, before we sort of break down the actual results and the fixtures in that run, James, what is your general feeling on this perceived loss of form, this current run that the Clarets are in, do you think that that criticism is justified? In, in short, no, not really. Um, there for the taking, if, if they've said that on the basis of watching Saturday, I think they've watched a different game to me, to be, to be quite honest. Um, I thought we were the, the better team. I think we were good enough for three points. Um yeah, we, we lack a little bit of that cutting edge. We said this all season, even when we were winning games, we said we lack a bit of a cutting edge. We lack uh, enough goals to to keep that sort of um, points record up. But did we look like we were there for the taking of Southampton? Would Southampton have uh, got anything out of the game without a bit of luck from uh, the referee getting getting involved? Uh, no, I don't think so. So I, I think that's an unfair comment to, to really put out there. And I, I assume we're going to go on to it, but you know, you look at the teams we've played in this winless run, and the the ones that you know we don't expect to get any from, we, we did get something from. We didn't come completely empty-handed. Uh, but then there's games in there where you look at ones that we'd like to win. These games in there were very unlucky, and you know decisions went against us, and we just didn't quite get the the rub of the green. And obviously, you've got to remember the injuries we've had as well in this spell. Yeah, definitely. And I think injuries is something that uh, we'll, we'll come on to, to talk about later on because I think that there's such a there's such a wide range of factors that have all come together and, and all hit us at the wrong time that have contributed to this particular run we're on at the moment. And, and James, you know, you have raised that about the specific fixtures, so let's break them down and have a look at them. Out of these eleven games that that Burnley haven't taken a win, five of those were against Spurs, two against United. Liverpool and City. So that's one, two, three. Is that five? One, two, three, four. Yeah, five. So those five of those 11 games, you could argue that you can't really ever expect to get something from those games. I mean, far, I say better, but the traditionally better sides, I also, you know, like the Leicesters and the Evertons and those kind of sides who've been doing well in the league, they can't and they don't expect to get something from those games. Now, as you rightly said, James, we got two bonus points from those. So out of the six points we have had, two have come from these perceived difficult games that the Clarets were kind of given no chance of getting anything from. But it's the other games that I want to look at. So I would say the ones that aren't the top six, the elite six side. Listen to this for a run. So these are the other six games that Burnley have played where they haven't won. Brighton away, Huddersfield away, Palace away, Newcastle away, Swansea away and Southampton at home where we got four points from a possible 18. But in that run, that's five away games to some really difficult places against fundamentally teams who I think are scrapping for their lives in this league. So we're going away from home to teams that have to pick up some points at home to get out of a relegation battle. Things like, you know, there's three newly promoted sides in there, plus Palace and Swansea. And we've already amassed at that time sort of 34, 35 points are in a coasting towards the end of the season. Is it 
really any surprise, James, that we picked up only four points from those fixtures? I, I think yes and no. You know, as I already said, and as I've been saying, I think for the majority of the season, we, we do like goals on our side. And, you know, if you go to teams and they're going to play tight, which a lot of those teams are, um, and, you know, we're not going to play as expansive away from home. We're going to struggle to score. But if you look at those games, Huddersfield away, you know, we had a cast iron penalty uh, turned down. Um, if we get that penalty, it's a different game. We, we've probably won. Uh, yes, we still haven't created enough to, to really take a lot of chances, but you've got to look at what, what we did create. And I think, you know, getting into the area to have the penalty shout shows that we're, we're not, you know, the the worst team in, in that game. Um Newcastle away, I thought both teams really liked to cut in edge, us particularly. And there were simple mistakes, I think, that, that led to us conceding. And again, if we, we stamp those out, uh, you know, maybe we play uh, our strongest lineup if if they were available. And again, maybe that's another game that we came away from three points with. I think if you look at those games, to me, uh, the, the, the two really poor ones are Crystal Palace and Swansea, I thought. I watched Swansea in a, in a bar in Pittsburgh and I thought, awful. Just really, really bad game. We were just dire and um, we deserved to get nothing from the game. Uh, and we 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 kind of, you could almost excuse the team having that, those, that odd game that's like that where we are just, you know, completely not at the races because we're not a team full of superstars. We are, a, you know, a team full of more worker-style players uh, and every now and then they're going to have a poor game. Uh, unfortunately, I think almost everyone had a poor game on that day uh, and Crystal Palace, which was another bad one. Um, and to me as well, after Palace, I was really surprised that wasn't the the, the end of Phil Bardsley's running the side because I thought he was absolutely awful. Um, and still we didn't bring, you know, clearly our better right back, back into the team and I think we've looked a lot better since Matt Lawton's been back in the side as well. And we saw, I think on Saturday, with Stephen Ward coming back on the left, I thought Charlie Taylor's done really well. Um, it, you know, he's grown into the role. You could see his bit of nervousness about playing in the Premier League for the first time, but it, he sort of grew into it. And I thought it was really harsh considering how long Phil Bardsley managed to keep his uh, spot after Lawton was fit. But Stephen Ward's come back in and he showed what a difference he makes. Having someone with the confidence and the familiarity with the way we play, uh, we, we looked a completely different side, I thought, down the left-hand side. And... If we'd had, you know, Lawton and, and Ward fit for that whole run of games, are we looking at a different set of results maybe? You know, and that's obviously the risk with the, the squad size we have. We're a smaller squad, we're a smaller budget team uh, and we have spent more money than ever before um, this season. But the, there's still only a limit to what we can afford to spend and obviously there's a limit to the amount of players we can keep happy. Um, and Dasha's style is to, to minimise the amount of players users anyway so ultimately you know that is going to sometimes work against us and players are going to get injured and we're going to suffer the consequences which is I think the run we're on yeah, I think that's a really good summary, James. I, I do, I do agree with 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 most of what you've said in in that that summary. I, I think, I think for me, it's very easy to, um, I guess. <sighs> summarise games from what the results show on paper. And I think one of my problems with the Premier League is that it's become an international news reporting brand. And, you know, it's no longer a a game for the the 
fans who rock up on a Saturday at three, well, I say Saturday at three o'clock at all times in the day now and um, pay their season ticket money, pay their away fare and watch the, the, the team play. It's become a global brand which caters very clearly for the television audience. And what's bred from that is a way of analysing games, this whole expected goals thing and, and possession stats and, like you say, um, performance stats, stats on, on, the, um, on paper. But they've all become a way of categorising a game. And, and we're seeing news outlets reporting on games they've not actually seen. You know, we see it all the time, reports from games that, that are just purely on stats that have, that have come out of, of paper and, 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 and analytics. So it's very easy on that sense to look at Burnley's current unbeaten run of games and think, oh, well, you know, they're not doing this, they're not doing that, and this is a terrible run of form. But, you know, when you break it down to the games we've played and the very close calls, James, like you say, particularly that Huddersfield away game, it's maybe not as as much of a crisis as some of the media are making it out to be. So I think for me, that's one of the reasons why I wanted us to debate it today, because we're in danger of losing our identity, I think, in this Premier League bandwagon we're on, in that our narrative is no longer in our own control anymore. It's very much dictated by um, international media outlets. And I just want us to just basically not get carried away with that and not read too much in the press and not to read too much as what being, what is being reported about us and actually just look at results and look at, I guess, little um, intricacies of, of, of how we're performing and just maybe try and keep our feet on the ground. Um that said, James, I think some of the things that you have highlighted there were our awful performances in some of those games. And you're quite right. Some of those games we were expected to get something from and we didn't um, were very much down to performance. Um, again, a couple of, um, of quotes that have been highlighting this um, entertainment factor now, which is the second part of, of the limb that I want to discuss. Some quotes. The tactics and setup of this Burnley side are so very predictable. A turgid affair devoid of any quality. They are very short on attacking players. Now, these are quotes that are very much, James, getting to the entertainment factor of this Burnley side. Let's be realistic here. Burnley Football Club under Short and Darch is not always and is not often free-flowing, attacking, flair football. It's very solid. It's very disciplined. It's a defensive unit and it's a, it's a hard grafting side, but it doesn't necessarily entertain. And again, some of these stats that are being banded around, Burnley have scored only eight goals in the last 11 games. We've only scored 11 home game, sorry, home goals all season. Are we, James, becoming very dull to watch? And the reason why I ask this specific question, even though it's quite hard to analyse, I one of my frustrations from Saturday's game against Southampton is I thought the standard of play was terrible. And even though, yes, we were the better side, it was actually a very dull, a very frustrating game. And at times, listeners, hate on me all you want, but I was bored. James, do this side have a responsibility to balance points on the board for the results-focused Premier League survival and the entertainment factor for those fans who've paid their money to watch an entertainment sport? Again, I don't think we're playing any different to the way we've played all season. So these tactics and the setup that apparently are so very predictable 
that's what earlier in the season um, the same people were praising and saying oh it's so fantastic to see Burnley set themselves up this way and, and play so well and get such good results from it um, it's the exact same team it's the exact same team playing the exact same style of football um, and I guess entertainment is subjective to, to some people um, they only want to see goals and probably these days football is not really the game for them because if there's one thing that's you know not around in abundance these days it tends to be goals most games you know particularly against uh, you know the sides outside of the the, the top four or five um, tend to be reasonably low scoring I'd say on average I haven't you know, got and ran the numbers or anything, but you know, you see an awful lot of uh, you know one nils, one ones, you know, tight games. Uh, because I think it's the case across most sports now that sport is much more defensive than it used to be. Uh, there's a much bigger focus on defending, uh, a much bigger dif- uh, focus on not losing, uh, and you even see that at the top level. You know, people like Jose Mourinho, he's made his almost his whole career around um, beating the smaller teams. Uh, you know, pummeling the smaller teams in some cases when he was at Chelsea, and then just tightening up for the for the big games against his rivals and uh, grinding out a one 0 win. Um, and th- that's what happens when uh, you know the sport becomes so much about um, the the money and the the trophies uh, and the pressure sort of mounts. People are more likely to play a tighter game because it, it's perceived to be easier to defend well and, and not lose than it is to go out and, and provide that entertainment factor that a lot of people like to see. Um, and there'll be other people, obviously, who are entertained by watching the style we play, you know, watching the pressing, watching the way we set up, uh, the people who maybe like more of the intricacies of the game. Um, I always think it's quite impressive, actually, at the turf when you see we, we put pressure on defenders, the, the way the crowd get behind the team. And I think Burnley fans like watching um, a more workman style uh, of football. Uh, I think if you got a lot of flair players at the turf playing for us, it wouldn't quite get the same reaction that uh, you know a bit of hard graft gets from the fans. Our fans love a runner. They've always loved a runner. Uh, I think sometimes there's nothing more that they like seeing than uh, the last man for us put the defender under pressure uh, and force him into a rash clearance that we might be able to pick off and counter-attack. That's just the way I think our fans like like the football, like you know, a workman-like attitude about it. But we haven't scored enough goals this season. And I've probably said it four times already in this podcast. I've said it probably every week this year on the podcast. We just don't have the goals in the side. And particularly when Chris Wood's out, I mean, Ashley Barnes has scored some great goals for us. He scored some key goals for us. He, he seems to be a big goal player. But the, there's just something about the way he plays that when he gets the ball in and around the box, 90% of the time, I don't think we're going to score. I don't. You don't get that feeling that he's about to put it in the net. Like you used to get when you know the ball would go over the top to Andre Gray or Danny Ings had picked the ball when he was at his best for Burnley. You always get that feeling that maybe something's about to happen, maybe we're about to score. I just don't really get that the same with Barnes. Um, you know, he scored some great goals for us. Some of them have been spectacular, great strikes, you know, even not just uh, the sort of goal that he scored on Saturday where it's, it's a bit rough and he, you know, sort of just gets a bit of his body onto it two yards from goal. Um, but without Chris Wood in the side, I just don't think we've we've got the same goals in. And even with Chris Wood, Chris Wood still doesn't necessarily make me think 
this is a guy who's going to go out and score a hat-trick or this is a guy who's going to get bags of goals. I feel he's more of an attacking threat than Barnes is, but he's still not an out-and-out goal scorer for me. Um, you know, there's, there's not a lot of them around, but, you know, there's people who you get a feeling are always going to score, like, you know, Harry Kane, Sergio Aguero. Obviously, their players are well out of our reach, but there's been people at lower levels at times in the Premier League over the last sort of 10 years, you know, Benteke in spells, like Darren Benton spells. There were people who just look like they're always going to score. Um, Jermaine Defoe uh, is one who's done it countless times. He was at Tottenham, he scored lots of goals and then, you know, he single-handedly kept Sunderland up, um, you know, in the past few seasons. And he's a guy who always looks like there's a chance he might score and we just don't have that. And I think when Robbie Brady got injured, we really lost someone who looked like he was coming into his own. He was getting the hang of what he, he wanted to do uh, in our team, what he wanted to do, you know, within the framework and how he could be creative. Uh, and he was taken away by, from us by injury. And I think once he went out of the side, we lost that bit of balance that we were starting to get from having both him and Gunmanson play well. And we just, you know, we, we like that little bit of cutting edge. But sometimes we have so much possession in the middle and we have some promising moves, but there's just, you know, the ball goes into the box and who's there at the end? Ultimately, no one, because we just don't have that cutting edge. We don't quite have that link that we've had maybe in the past. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, there's literally nothing that, that we can add to that, James. It, you're so right. It, it's... It, we these are the problems that we know we've got in our side, but for all of the perceived problems with scoring goals and creating entertaining in football, I want to highlight to our listeners the very first thing that you said in that segment, which is so, so important. This is a style of football with largely the same players who were playing this style of football for the first half of the season, grinding out an amazing results and getting themselves into the fourth in the division. And the pundits and the press were lauding on these players for that and saying how amazing they were playing, what a great system it is, how refreshing it was and how Sean Dyke should be managing England. So what I want you to take away from this, listeners, is very much the attitude of the media dictates the narrative of our club and don't let it do it. Yes, Burnley are on a long spell without a win, but we've already broken down some of the reasons for that combined with the results, sorry, with the fixtures we had, the players we've had out injured and the interruptions that we've had to the flow of the performances were always going to have an impact. Burnley will get back to winning ways. Of course they will. They've already got themselves into seventh place in the division. And Dyche will be aware of some of the problems in the performance when these key players are out. Ultimately, we had at one point seven first team players out injured. And I can't think of a side in the world that wouldn't struggle with those um, injuries. So that's where we're leaving it on that particular discussion this week. Yes, Burnley are in a difficult run. No, they're not playing amazingly entertaining football, but they are also have had the benefit of some fantastic performances earlier on in the season. And at the end of the day, it doesn't necessarily matter where we finish at the end. Sorry, how we get there. It's where we finish at the end of the season. And as it stands, we are still on course to finish in the top 10. So James, bearing all that in mind, and let's now, we've now basically... Counter uh, counteracted all of the, the media narrative this weekend and all of the negatives that the press are throwing our way. Let's look to the future. Let's forget about this run of games now. Where do we pick up the next points from? Because for me, and we'll come on to talk about it at the end of the podcast, 
I'm, I feel very confident that Burnley will pick up three points this Saturday against Everton. Are you concerned that it, we have to get this win very, very quickly or do you, are you feeling more relaxed about it and thinking, well, we've essentially just got three points to get to 40. Let's just get to that and see where we get to. Um, yes, I, I thought Saturday was a, a big game, big opportunity to win. Um, and I think actually really, if you, you, know, you look back at what happened, we, we should have won. Um, but again, this Saturday to me again, key opportunity to, to win. Um, I wouldn't say it's you know do or die, but we seventh in the league. We we comfortably going to stay up, I think, and uh, you know it's only a matter of time until we win again, um, in my opinion. But to to get a win against Everton, I think would be would be a great one. It buoy the confidence, um, both the players and the fans, because Everton are a team that struggled obviously early in the season, but they are resurgent now and they've got themselves back into the the, the middle of the pack, um, and they are a team actually that could could easily end up catching us if we don't start getting a, a little bit of form back together. So for me, it's, it's a big game. It's a big opportunity to win. It's a, a good opportunity, I think, to sort of silence some of this negative yeah. uh, press that's starting to starting to rear its head unfairly, I think, to be honest. No, yeah, no, I completely agree. And like I say, one, one of the reasons why I found it, I thought it was so important for us to discuss these, this narrative, this, this episode was just because it, we could easily as fans, um, you know, cut it out and, and, and give an explanation that, that nullifies a lot of that negative press. Um, looking at the, the fixtures to the end of the season, James, they actually look okay. Um, we've got some, we, we've kind of got all of the really difficult games out of the way now. And if you look at, at the fixtures between now, now and May, the only perceived tough ones that I think are really bad are Chelsea and Arsenal both at home. But get, no, sorry. Chelsea is at home and Arsenal's away. But given just how poor I think Chelsea and Arsenal have been this season, particularly Arsenal, then I no longer feel like they are guaranteed losses. And actually, I think probably the hardest game that we're going to face is probably Leicester at home. So we've got now one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten games um, to get these points on the board. Um, realistically, James, given the start of the season, but then given the the middle um, slump, I guess <laughs> I'm trying to find more positive words to say than this. So the middle challenge, shall we say? Um, where would you, where, where's the lowest place finish that you would be happy us finishing? Uh, I think I said it a little while ago. Maybe um, for me, uh, top ten's got to be a, the target from where we've been, and I, I think that's still. Uh, yeah, comfortably possible uh, you know when the, you look at the games that are left there's plenty of opportunities I think to, to pick up wins and ultimately we will and we're only going to see more players come back I think from injury yeah well actually that that's quite a good a good uh, time to move on here let's move on now to the Southampton game and, and have a look at that in a little bit more depth um, as you've already mentioned earlier on in, in this podcast James the injury list is getting smaller we're now only missing Tarke, Brady, Dufour um, I think, but they are pretty key players. But they're the main three that we're missing, and we very saw a very welcome return to, for Stephen Ward to the starting lineup, and obviously Ward on the bench as well. Um, whilst we were surprised, I think, and felt Taylor had been perhaps a little hard done by with, with Ward coming straight into the side. Um, I thought Ward was fantastic and just showed just how experienced and how quality a player is. Um, do you think, though, um, James, one of the the injury lists and the, I guess lack of game time for some of these players do you think that is one of the reasons why Deitch didn't make any subs this game 
I'm not really sure why Dash didn't make any subs, to be honest. Uh, he, he obviously had one prepared when we scored and then decided to, to hold off. Um, Who was that, by the way? Because I did see that. I saw them just about stripping off and then obviously we scored and, and in the, the melee of the goal, I didn't see who it was. Who I'd be interested to see who the change was. Did you see it? No, I, I didn't, to be honest. Or if I did, I can't remember it now. Um, yeah. if, if any of our listeners were in the Bob Lord end and saw who was ready to come on just as Ashley Barnes scored, can you tweet me and let me know? Because uh, I would genuinely be interested whether it was a like-for-like like one or whether it was going to be... Oh, I guess what I'm getting at is is that um, Deitch was, was quite heavily criticised by a lot of the fans after the game for not making any subs, especially as, as the game was, was struggling in, in patches and it looked to everybody that a change was needed. Um, I'm trying to find some justification as to why he didn't make it and I do wonder whether obviously once we went ahead he felt that the players who were on the pitch were better placed to protect that goal um, than than maybe having to make a change and find the goal. That's, that seems to me the, the, the logical explanation, James, don't you think? Yeah, I think, you know, he thought we had the goal and the, the, the players on the pitch were going to be able to, to, to see it out. I actually think potentially he was going to go to two up front um, uh, maybe take Lennon off or, or Hendrick, yeah. one of the two. And doing that, I think, was more to chase a goal than to to defend what we yeah. had. And he probably thought five in midfield was, uh, you know, the, the better way to defend what we had. Yeah, I think you're probably right. That that certainly makes sense. And, and to be fair... I, I, I personally think it's quite hard to criticise Deitch for that if that's exactly what the the thought process was because that's a strategy that, like you say, has been applauded all season and has worked and has, has ground out some very important 1-0 wins. So barring the, the equaliser in, in the manner that it went in, it would have worked again and we would have all been um, pretty happy with, with the three points and getting back to winning ways. Um Let's have a look at the goal then, James. Again, Ashley Barnes came up with uh, with what Ashley Barnes does best, doesn't he? Throwing every single limb, head, face, body and bundling it over the line. This might sound a little bit unfair, but if ever a goal epitomised the standard of a game, I kind of felt that that was it. Yeah, it was a really scrappy one, um, to, to say the least. I'm still not 100% sure he actually got... A- proper touch on it before the line it was hard to tell it was sort of nodded back towards goal and I don't know whether it kind of hit him and went in or went in and hit him as he fell over the line but it was definitely a a pretty pretty scrappy one yeah it was but we do take them don't we we tend to not really care how they go in and, and quite frankly I quite like a good um, Ashley Barnes bundle over the line goal It uh, he has he has those two goals and him does Barnes he either smashes an absolute net buster which is a spectacular goal usually mid-air on a volley or he just like throws his body over the line and gets him in but uh, it doesn't really matter does it how they go in um, unfortunately it wasn't proving to be the winning goal and the Clarets ended up conceding another really late goal. So I'm going to hand the reins over to James and I'm going to let him talk through what I think were the three issues with the Southampton equaliser. James, you've got three points. Number one, the collision with the referee. Number two, a possible chance for Westwood to bring him down and take the yellow. And number three, the foul on Long. Over to you. We'll start with the the the, the referee collision. Um, 
to me, you, you, I heard, I've heard one argument for it, and I'm really surprised by how little coverage um, I, I could find at a quick glance earlier on the internet. But to me, uh, a referee in the Premier League level shouldn't be caught out of position there. He's clearly out of position, in my opinion. Um, you could see that pass come in from a mile off and it, it wasn't like it was, you know, zipped across the middle of the park. It was, you know, a reasonably paced pass. It was quite obvious. It was from a reasonable distance. To me, for the referee to get in the way of the play there, I think that's very poor. Um, and, you know, if that's the standard that allows you to be a Premier League referee, I think I could have a crack and uh, pays better than my job. So, so maybe uh, if the Premier League looking for another referee, you know, I'll, I'll give it a go. And then, Part of me thinks, if I was the referee and I've made a mistake like that, fair enough, mistakes happen. Uh, we probably madly they seem to happen more often than they do necessarily with most people. But when the ball then goes into the box and to come onto your last point, and and Long's maybe fouled, I, I'm not really sure about it. It's a bit, it's all a bit scrappy in the box, isn't it? But if there's any chance he's fouled there, and you've just made that mistake. You know, gifted possession to the team who are attacking, the team who are one nil down late on. I think the referee should be looking to to blow his whistle. You know, if if there's any thought in his mind that there could be a foul on a Burnley player, he should be looking to to even it up. And yeah, two wrongs don't necessarily make a right, but you're talking here about you know, in the Premier League, uh, you know, what the league's worth, supposedly the best league in the world. Should we really have games being influenced by referees getting in the way of the ball, uh, you know, in the way of play? Not not for me. And ultimately, it's very disappointing and there's, you know, nothing that can be done, but he's had an opportunity there potentially to, to look to even it up. Um like I said, I didn't really see what happened. It was quite scrappy in the box. Long's obviously gone down, whether he's lost his balance or whether he's been fouled. But, you know, if there's a, a bit of contact there, I mean, look how much contact's needed sometimes for a penalty. I think the referee should be looking to blow his whistle considering, you know, how Southampton gained possession in the first place. Um, as for Westwood having an opportunity to, to, to bring the man down as he breaks... I think it's a difficult one because it's not like the guys breaking clean through. Um, you know, it, there's still quite a bit of work to be done before they actually get to the point where they're scoring. And I know sometimes it's it's just easier to bring him down, but then did they score from the free kick? I guess the hesitation there for Westwood is. Um, do I hope the you know the centre back cuts it out or the the full back you know blocks across? It's a difficult one because it he could have easily brought him down. We could have easily conceded from the free kick, and everyone would be saying, "Oh, why did West bring him down?" And it's one of those ones you can always find fault. I think with what the players done in that situation, um, most of the time it probably comes to nothing, and no, everyone looks back and you don't even see it. It's it's a non-issue, but then. Those couple of other times, either what happens here does, he doesn't take the opportunity to bring the man down, they go on and score, or he brings the man down, they get a free kick, go on and score. So it's easy to see why he hesitated, and he's a guy who's not necessarily been playing a lot of football this season, but I thought he had a sensational game, and I think you know that one 
uh, moment shouldn't really be a, a black mark against the game. And he's probably not in the right frame of mind either after just cladding with a three. He's probably a, a little bit flustered anyway, and it's potentially affecting his decision-making. It's hard to say without being in, inside the mind of Ashley Westwood, but it's a, I think it's a difficult situation for him to have been in. Yeah, good stuff. I think uh, I agree with with the analysis of of Westwood. I think I at the time I was screaming for him to, to to just bring him down because I just had a really horrible feeling when the ball broke for the Southampton um, player and it this momentum this opportunity was created for them. Um, the, the referee issue is just hugely frustrating and and it just bothers me that so much of the drama surrounding a Premier League season is things that are outside of your control. Um, I think Deitch said this in his post-match interview. You can only control what you can do. You can control the performance of the players. You can control your own tactical awareness and your own preparation for the game. But when something like that happens, it's just so hugely frustrating and we've seen it so much this season we've seen referee errors giving goals that were offside we've given penalties given that weren't penalties penalties that were blatant penalties not given and now flipping referee just gets in the middle of of, of a, a clearance for us and gifts the other side an opportunity to score a goal and it's cost us two points and I just this league frustrates me so much, and considering the the glory, and I, God, I've said this so many times on the podcast, considering it's the best league in the world, and all the money, and all of the fame that comes with the Premier League, there's so much wrong with it, and there's so much that needs to be resolved, and I, I just. Oh, I can't have to go through this, and if I have to go through this on a podcast again before the end of the season. I'm going to quit. <laughs> I'm going to say that, listeners. I'm going to quit. If we have to have another podcast where we're talking about incompetent referees, then I think we should just all pack our bags and go home. Um, um, the very quick point then on uh, before we finish up on the Everton, not Everton game, that's next week, <laughs> Southampton game. Um, sorry, listeners, I got myself into a, a muddle then with threatening to quit. Um, one last point on the Southampton game, James. I think you mentioned this before we recorded this week's podcast. I'm a bit like that about this one, but you feel that there was a blatant penalty um, for Ashley Barnes, which would have given us an opportunity to go back to one ahead. Um, I think this is, is, well, I say I think this is soft. The amount of soft penalties that have gone against us, especially late in the game. Um, just talk our listeners through what your views are on this penalty decision, James. Well, you know, Ashley Barnes has been held. It maybe is a soft one, but considering what's just unfolded, I think it's one that you'd expect to see given. I've seen softer. It maybe is the better way to put it. Yeah, mainly against us. <laughs> yeah, some of the ones that we've conceded this season have been way softer. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's just one of those, isn't it? At the moment, we're just in such a bad mood about this this result, and we all left the game so close to feeling elated by another three points on the board, which was, of course, would have taken us to thirty nine, would it? What are we on now? Thirty seven. Yes, yeah, so we'd have been on thirty nine points with ten games to go, on, and instead, we've all come away um, feeling robbed again of. A an opportunity to, to get three points at home. So um quick summary then of the Southampton game. Um was it a entertaining free-flowing game? No, it wasn't. It was quite difficult to watch in spells. But was it a hard-working graft from a very dedicated and disciplined Burnley side? Yes, it was. You can't take that away from these players. They may not have been able to create much. It may have been quite stagnant at times, but that doesn't mean that certain players didn't execute a game plan very, very well. And 
we've got to look at it and say, well, we didn't lose. You know, we've, it's another point on the board. And, you know, it's, it's, it's another step closer to another season in the Premier League. And teams, especially a team like Burnley with the injuries that they've got and the challenges that they face, will always have spells in the Premier League where things don't go to plan. We're just in one of those spells. We've now got 10 fantastic results towards the end of the season. And let's be realistic, sides like Southampton, who we just played on Saturday, would swap managers and places with us in a heartbeat. So things are going to look up, Clarets fans. We're going to join you next week where we're going to be talking about an Everton win. I, I tell you, we're going to be, not an Everton win, a win against Everton. Listeners, what's wrong with me this evening? I'm getting all my words in a muddle. Um, so James, let's have a very quick look at this Everton game. I am absolutely convinced that Burnley are going to win on Saturday. Um, I know you spoke earlier about this Everton side and about the difficulties that they faced at the beginning of the season, but the resurgence that they've now had. Talking to a lot of Everton fans, they actually very much disagree with that. And there is talk and there is very strong talk on message boards and in fan forums that it is time for Allardyce to be sacked. Everton fans are absolutely appalled by the standard of football that they're watching. And their feeling very much is that Allardyce has done the job he was brought in to do. He was brought in to steady the ship and to get Everton away from a relegation battle. They are now in sort of mid-table mediocrity they're not going to be anywhere near the top six they're not going to be anywhere near the bottom six um james that's quite a, a statement from everton fans isn't it you know do you think that i mean you obviously said earlier on that you felt that, that everton would overtake us i don't think they will now i did at one point but I, I just don't think they will anymore but you know we look at some of the things we've talked about tonight and everton are already talking about sacking their second manager in one season you know Surely this is an opportunity on Saturday to to, to put things right and, and to beat a side who are struggling again. Firstly, I didn't say they, they will overtake us. I said they feasibly could overtake us. <laughs> just just a minor correction. But um, I'm surprised that the, the fans are looking for his sacking already. I mean, yes, he might not be playing the most attractive brand of football, but he's got them back nearer a position that they they probably believe they belong in. Um, and I, I think it's maybe just, again, showing that sort of uh, short short memories of, of football fans there. They seem to have forgotten that, you know, only a couple of months ago they were in real trouble and could have easily been going down to the championship uh, without a major change. And now they're looking pretty comfortable in the mid-table. Um, you know, going in the right direction. Yeah, they might not be playing the best football going, uh, but, it, you know, it, it is what it is. And I think they, they probably maybe realised that when they brought Sam Allardyce in in the first place, he's more of a, less of a style manager and, you know, more of a results-based manager. Uh, and he's been getting some results from. Uh, so I think it's a bit, you know, premature to start calling for his sacking. It reminds me a little bit actually of when we first brought Dash in. I remember there was a few fans who probably deny it these days who weren't too impressed with the, the football we were playing under Dash in those uh, you know that first half of season and, and thought we should get red. And uh, I remember it. I'm sure like I said people who thought that'll deny it. But look how it turned out. Um I'm not saying Allardyce is going to, you know, lead Everton to to Premier League glory next season or anything like that. But there's every every chance that he could take them further up the table than they maybe have been in the last couple of seasons. Uh, once he's got the opportunity to to get the side to 
be the, the side he wants because at the moment he's still very much playing with someone else's players. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. It's, I always find um, the impatience when new managers take over is really, really difficult. And and like you say, it, we went through it when Deitch first came to us, didn't we? We were not particularly um, thrilled by his style of football when he first joined us. And like you say, James, look how that turned out. Um, do you share my optimism for Saturday, James? Do you think we'll win? Um, I, I think we will. I think we will. I think it's, you know, overdue and... And maybe now uh, the game that we're more likely to 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 win on paper has passed. Maybe it'll uh, sort of release that little bit of pressure, and we'll see. We'll see a win uh, at the turf. Yeah, that'd be nice. Would you bring Wood back, or do you? I mean, I was very surprised not to see him on Saturday. Actually, you know, if he's if he's fit enough for the bench, how is he not starting? I mean, don't, don't get me wrong, I love Ashley Barnes, but I'd be tempted to start him, wouldn't you? Yeah, and I don't know whether it is fitness. I mean, he, he played a little bit of the the under twenty three game last week, and um, you know, I think he played less of the game than Tom Heaton did. I'm, I'm not sure. I've not really read a report after anything. And obviously, Tom was wasn't even deemed fit enough to to make the bench. Um, so, you know, maybe Dash didn't feel like it if needed. He'd be able to do ninety minutes, so he wanted to keep him on the bench. But for me, I think when we're looking for goals and Goals is clearly the the big issue in our side. I think that's really what's holding us back. Yeah. Uh, for me, he, you know, Chris Wood has to start, and I've said for me about ten million times in that last <laughs> uh, that last section. So apologies to any listeners. I'm sick of me saying that. But yeah, I think I think Chris Wood has to come back into the side because he's uh, the, the best goal scorer we've got uh, available to us. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, so let's wrap up the um, summary of this week's podcast. And um, before we leave you for this week, um, we have another competition. Listeners, we spoil you with our competition entries. James, what do you have in store for our listeners this week? Yeah, you may remember a little while ago we did um, From Orient to the Emirates uh, from Pitch Publishing, uh, written by... Tim, whose uh, surname I have completely forgotten, so apologies, Tim. Um, but we're, we're now going to do uh, Dave Thomas's book from the same publisher, uh, his most recent one, Mud, Sweat and Tears. Um, apologies to Pitch Publishing for how long it's taken me to, to do this, but with the last couple of podcasts being a bit all over the place and the big gap we've had, uh, it's just not quite made it onto the podcast yet. But here it is. We're eventually doing it. Um, so... The way to enter is uh, a quick question to, to answer, and that is which two Burnley strikers hold the record for most consecutively games with a goal? Uh, so that's which two Burnley strikers hold the record for most consecutively games with a goal? Uh, if you could email your answers in to uh, podcast at knowninever.net and uh, put the subject line as mud, sweat and tears competition, um, we'll pick a winner from that. Uh, the closing date will be next Monday. Excellent stuff. Thank you, James. So that is all we have time for this week, listeners. Thank you for sticking with us. And 
I would really be interested to hear your thoughts on what we discussed this week, just because it was very much a general um, observation about the, the, you know, the loss of form, the lack of entertainment and, and this negativity coming through the press. So please do email us at the email um, James just mentioned to give us your thoughts and feedback on, on what we've talked about. I'd be really interested to hear your views. But that is it. Uh, we will be joining you again next week when we will be discussing three points at home against Everton I am convinced we are going to win Um, thanks as ever go to Adam our producer who will be editing this week's podcast thanks to James Bird for joining me as ever my regular panellist and um, co-host on the Non and Ever podcast but my final thanks go to you the listeners for downloading and listening to this podcast without you we would not be here so your support is very much appreciated I've been Natalie Bromley this has been the Non and Ever podcast until next time the Talksport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Open them up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.